And it's from Acts chapter 4, excuse me, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And so we'll begin reading there in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And some of the instructions that Jesus gave to the disciples, also very applicable to our lives today. Acts 1, verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we have a command here from Scripture in verse, verse 4, a, a promise of the Holy Spirit coupled with a command that is to wait in Jerusalem, and basically you're to wait until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and when you receive this power of the Holy Spirit, you shall be, in verse 8, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. So we looked up the word charge and gave some different uh, meanings of it. And of course, the one we're probably the most familiar with is, is charge as in, into uh, uh, adding electrical charge to a battery, you know, to charge your batteries, whether it be your uh, computer devices, your cell phones, or just whatever, all types of things we have today. Lots of power tools today, almost all, all power tools are, are, are charged your, uh, with a battery, operated by batteries that need to be charged. Your car this morning, whether you realize it or not, your battery needed to be charged in order for your car to start and get over here. And if you, if you have a Prius, your batteries needed to be charged in order for you to get here. And so, but anyway, you get the idea. So the idea is, is uh, you know, your batteries, whatever operates with, with a battery, powered by battery, the battery needs to be charged in order for that device to function and to operate correctly. So that's one of the meanings of uh, uh, being charged. In the spiritual realm, it has to do with uh, being charged up spiritually, having our spirits build up. And Judy talked about having uh, build up your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. So the idea is that you keep yourself built up in the faith, uh, and, and you do so by praying, you do so by hearing the Word of God, being a doer of the Word of God, and it's keeping yourself built up. So charge, to load with something, to add an electrical charge, but it also can mean to give a charge as a duty or to give a command, it can, uh, such as being commissioned. And again, and so in the Scriptures, we are, we are to wait in Jerusalem receive the fullness of the Spirit, be charged, be filled with the Spirit to be a witness. Then also we have the, what's known as the commission in Matthew chapter 28 and in Mark 16 where Jesus said that we're to go into all the world and to proclaim the Gospels. That's a charge to go into all the world. Now, for those that may be in rebellion to all of the above, you may have experienced having been charged from a legal sense. 
And we don't want to get into that aspect of, but you don't want to be charged with a crime. <laughs> but that's also another meaning of the word charge, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being charged, being built up, and also being charged as in commanded or being commissioned to go into all the world and to proclaim the good news of the gospel. So that was our emphasis on the, on the, on the first week and also to uh, eliminate things in our lives that are draining our batteries unnecessarily. There's a lot of open apps. There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of confusion going on in our world around us that, that are draining our batteries. And we need to learn to be wise and to shut things down and to turn things off that need to be uh, turned off and shut things down that need to be shut down. And, and so that your batteries are not drained unnecessarily so that you can, you can have a, a longer shelf life with your battery. You can be built up. You're not always running out of juice, running out of energy. And so then last Sunday, we had the guest speaker here, Lindsay Lossball was here, and she followed up on this idea of being charged, being commissioned to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And she talked about the, 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 the four points that she was giving us. She said a lot of good things, but she was basically summing it up with four points that in order for us to remain charged and to be effective in reaching our community is that we must develop a white-hot faith also talked about the importance of not being afraid as a community, as a church, to ask the hard questions. And number three was that we must learn to be a resilient minority. We are a minority, but we are a resilient minority. We're not pouting about it, but we know that we have God on our side. Then also to be, have a renewed commitment to the lordship of Christ as king not trying to reap all the benefits of the kingdom, but uh, not wanting anything to do with the king himself. So today I'd like for you to have your Bibles with you. If you, if you would turn to the book of Colossians chapter four, there's a charge in there that the apostle Paul gave to the church at Colossae. Matter of fact, the whole book is basically informing them of who they are in Christ and in the first two chapters and chapters three and four, giving them a charge on how to apply the principles of who they are in Christ and, and how to conduct themselves among, he uses the term here, outsiders. I'm always a little bit hesitant to use the word outsider as a meaning people that are not born again Christians because in my, the culture that I grew up in, anybody that was not Mennonite was an outsider. You know, it was not uncommon for in conversation talking about someone, the question would come up, uh, well, are they one of us? You know, so it was very, you know, it was a very tight-knit group and a very, you know, it was very important that we, we all stay within, within, that we remain on the inside and, and not get messed up with uh, affiliating with the outside too much. So anyway, that's just a little side note there about my culture, but that's why I sometimes hesitate using this terminology, but it's, it's in the scripture and I don't necessarily think it's offensive. It just brings back flashbacks to me of... Uh, of my culture. So in uh, Colossians chapter 4, let's look at verses uh, 4, uh, excuse me, verse 5 and 6. Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6. And we have this, I'm going to read it from the New King James, but then we also have it from the, from the Message Bible, which I think will be up on the screen. I'm not sure if you have it in the Message Translation or not, but we're going to have it. So in the New King James, Apostle Paul writing to the church of he says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, meaning those that are not Christ followers. They haven't received Jesus Christ yet at this time. Redeeming the time. 
Then in verse 6, it says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now, in the Message Bible, verse 5 and 6, it says, Use your heads as you live and work among outsiders. Don't miss a trick. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in conversation, not put them down, not cut them out. So you hear the heartbeat in there, and you hear Paul's passion in there about, okay, church at Colossae, I'm writing this letter to you from, from my prison cell, but I'm writing this to you. I want you to know that, yes, this faith that you have in following Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's new to the culture. You know, when this was being written, this was, this was, a, 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 this was new. It was a, it, and, and, so, and also they were a minority, and so there was a lot of temptation to uh, abandon when persecution would come. There would be a lot of temptation to abandon their newfound freedom in Christ and go back to what they knew and what was more comfortable and what was probably more acceptable among the culture. But he's encouraging them not to allow their status of who they are as born-again Christians, Christ followers, and a minority, not to allow them to, uh, be, uh, uh, to become fearful of the culture. And that's what we heard a lot of uh, uh, last week from Lindsay, that we don't need to be fearing the culture, but rather we need to be wise and we need to be educated and we need to be fully charged and we need to be fully present in, in walking with God and, and, and to, to, to not miss a trick, but to walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. There's a couple other scripture verses that make reference to outsiders. One of them is a First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 12, where we are to walk properly towards those who are outside. And then in First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7, it says uh, that we must have a good testimony among those outside. And so that's the, the key, I think, for, for us to, you know, that's, to me, it's the guardrail. It's the guardrail for my life, and perhaps you can make it a guardrail in your life as well, that it's my responsibility and it's our responsibility to always make sure that we are walking properly towards those who are outside and that we must have a good testimony among those who are outside. Because the persecution and the ridicule and the criticism, it comes from the outside. Now, I know a lot of the stuff can come from the inside as well, but Really, our, 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 our goal and our aim needs to be is to be fully present, fully charged, and to be a, a good testimony among people that are, have not yet accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. A good testimony. Well, what might a good testimony look like among someone that's not born again? You know, all kinds of things that we can come up with and say that would be a good testimony. Perhaps the question should be phrased, what would be a bad testimony to someone that's not born again? <laughs> okay, you don't want to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> Is there anything you want to talk about this morning? <laughs> we learned last week we're supposed to ask the hard questions, right? <laughs> I'm just playing with you. So... So the Colossian church that Paul is writing to, again, is a, is a, as a minority in a hostile environment, they were to be concerned about the impression they made on their neighbors. 
The Colossian believers were not resentful. They were not resentful that they were marginalized in their society. They were not resentful whatsoever. We have no business being resentful. We have no reason to feel like we're being uh, pushed into a corner and that we need to start fighting back and we need to fight hard and we need to fight ugly and, you know, you know whatever they give to us, we're going to give back to them, they being those on, that are not yet Christ followers. But the, the people of the Colossian church, they fully believed that they had been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and over every principality. Paul had written that to them in the previous chapter, in chapter 2. Matter of fact, chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Colossians talk all about their, their rights and their privileges and their identity as Christ followers. And so they fully believed that they had the fullness of Christ, that, that, they, had, that they were a, a chosen people, a special people. And it led them to look at the culture around them as outsiders, but not from a derogatory sense, but that led them to look at them, well, they're not, they're not born again, so they're on the outside, aliens to God's kingdom. And this theological viewpoint can be very dangerous. And I see it today as many times from a dangerous standpoint. And it can be very dangerous when it leads to a false sense of privilege a false sense of privilege that would shut the door, a false sense of privilege that would shut the door on those on the outside rather than opening the door and welcoming them in to a conversation about what we believe. Are you following me? Yes. I, I have experienced it too many times to even talk about it, and it grieves me when I think about it, when I, when I, when I witness the, the privilege the privileges that we have as being given the fullness of Christ, fully redeemed in Christ, Christ in us, having the gift of eternal life, Jesus having been made wisdom unto us, empowered by God's Holy Spirit to be witnesses in, in, in all the world. I've seen people take that and, and really just uh, cock an attitude towards we are superior towards anyone who's not one of us. And have attitude towards those who are outside and have attitude towards anyone that thinks different or believes different or has not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's not what it's all about. I mean, yes, thank God we are a privileged people. We are a chosen generation. We're called out of darkness to show forth his marvelous praises. That's what it's all about as being Christians. And we have a right and we have a calling and a responsibility to gather as we're gathering this morning to come together and, and to worship together and to encourage one another uh, and to, to, to be followers of Christ and, and, and to pray for one another. We have that responsibility, but never allow the, 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 this theological viewpoint of who we are in Christ, never let it lead to a false privilege that closes the door. Notice when you think you are so spiritual that, you need, that it shuts the door on conversation of outsiders, then you, you, you're not understanding it properly. So you are privileged, but you're not privileged to the point that you can snub other people. The door needs to be open. 
and our hearts need to be welcoming. It's vitally important that as a church, we learn to blend the wisdom of God with a sense of reckless urgency that exhausts every opportunity to reach unbelievers. Blend the wisdom of God with a sense of reckless urgency that exhausts every opportunity to reach the unreached. I shared with you on March 3rd when I opened this series, I think at the closing of the message, I don't know if it got on the recording or not, but when I, I, I remember at the end of the message when I was introducing the, that Lindsay would be here the following week, I mentioned to you that that last week when Lindsay being here, today and next Sunday would be some of the most important messages that you've heard from Grace Church in a long time. And it's going to be very significant in, in, in the way that Grace Church pivots in reaching the next generation. So having said that, is it okay if I just be honest with you this morning? The teachings of Jesus warn us that the root of what we observe on the surface of our lives, what I observe on the surface of my life, what you are observing on the surface of your life, and collectively, the root of what we observe on the surface of our lives as a local church, as Grace Church, we're not talking about other churches. We're talking about Grace Church today, all right? The very root of what we observe on the surface of our lives and of our church is our heart. Various scriptures where Jesus talked about what comes out of the mouth. You know, it's the heart. It's always, everything comes forth from the heart. And so it's, it's the heart of man. So what we are seeing or what we are not seeing has to do with the condition of our heart. Are we in agreement so far? Yes. Has to do with the condition of our heart. It's condition, the condition of our heart shows through in whatever we say and whatever we are doing. The bottom line is it's our heart that's being revealed. And the world or those on the outside have great discernment. They know what's real, they know what's not real. We have great discernment. We know what's real and we know what's not real. We know what's right and we know what's wrong. But it's, it's our heart that really determines what is manifested in the surface of our lives. And the truth be told, evangelism, whether you like the word or not, reaching outsiders often fails to happen because of our innermost being. We really don't care that much about people that are on the outside of God's family. But Pastor Ray, I disagree with that. I even disagree with myself on that. I don't like admitting that. But yet, if it were true that I was really just burning with a desire to reach outsiders, I would be doing it more frequently, not every once in a while, to try to tamper down my guilt 
I would be passionate about reaching outsiders. I would purpose to become wise in reaching outsiders. I would make sure that my speech is becoming gracious towards outsiders, that I might walk in wisdom towards them, that I might have a ready answer for them. But it doesn't happen. Why is it not happening? As a man thinks in his heart, as we think in our heart, we get so busy, we get so consumed. I talked about my culture, how they were so consumed about on the inside. Are they one of us? Are they an outsider? Well, many times we're not much different than my culture. We, we still tend to be, you know, to kind of flock together with like-mindedness. And that, you know, th th there's a time, a Sunday morning service like this, it's a time for like-mindedness to come together and to worship, to pray together, to worship together, and to be encouraged together in the Word of God. But when we leave here, the passion should be, oh, I can't wait to get to my Bible study. I can't wait to get to church next Sunday. But the passion should be, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to walk in wisdom towards those who are outside and I'm going to redeem the time in doing so, meaning I'm not going to be wasting any time. I'm going to, I'm going to walk in wisdom to my neighbors. I'm going to walk in wisdom to anyone in my family that has not, that has not yet accepted Christ. Students, you're going to walk in wisdom towards your classmates. Yes, you're a minority. Less there's, yes, there is much pressure, but there are, there, there, there's a way of wisdom that you may not even have thought of yet. It's just that you, you'll find ways to sow the seeds that need to be sown. Your places of vocation can be very hard places. You know, the language is completely vile and, and it's just, you know, the, the disrespect for anything Christ-like is just rampant. You know, I get a taste of that when I go to the gym after I leave the office here. I know the vocabulary that you're putting up with all day. Thankfully, I only have to put up with it for about 90 minutes. But if that's the environment you're working in, I get a taste of it. If that's the environment in your schools, that's the vocabulary you're hearing there, then you know, I, I, I know what's going on out there. I'm not completely ignorant. But I also made up my mind that I'm going to walk in wisdom. I'm going to walk in wisdom. And I'm really going to allow the Lord to do what he needs to do. It's imperative. It's imperative that we allow God to change our minds, to transform our lives, and to warm our hearts towards the people that he loves. And my Bible tells me that he so loved the whole world. He didn't pick and choose. I like that white person. I don't like that black person. I like that brown one, or I like that black one. I like this yellow one. No, God so loved the whole world. The whole world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's what we need to have our hearts warmed up to and our, our, our minds renewed to and, and really allow the love of God to, to be, uh, take up resonance in our lives and to realize that lost people matter to God and they should matter to us. They should matter to you. They should matter to me. 
Paul's not saying these things because he wants the Colossian believers, nor the application for us today. These things are not being spoken so that we can be fearful, that we can feel threatened, or that we are, are feeling isolated. But what he wants us to do is he wants us to speak openly with outsiders. And, 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 and in speaking openly with outsiders, he gives us three characteristics that should govern our speech. Three characteristics that should govern our speech. And as we purpose to develop our hearts and, and, and really have a passion for outsiders, we need to begin, we, we, we must stop seeing them as the opposition. They are not the opposition. In politics, they have opposition. One party opposing another party. But we are not in politics, we are in the kingdom of God. And politics, and opposition parties have no place in the kingdom of God. We're not in opposition with other churches in the region. We are not in opposition with other races. We're not in opposition with, you know, we are Christ followers, all inclusive. You're following Christ, we're on the same team. And so we're not seeing outsiders as the opposition and, 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 uh, we're not fearing them as a negative influence on our lives. Oh, but Pastor Ray, they're a bad influence, and you know, we shouldn't be hanging around with bad influence. I'm not talking about hanging around with bad influencers for the sake of enjoying what they're doing. But I'm talking about hanging around with people and, and building a bridge that is secure enough for you to be able to present the gospel. Are you following me? So what are these uh, characteristics that'll govern our speech that'll make it much more palatable for those that are not yet following Christ? Let me share them with you this morning. Number one, I'll give all three of them to you, then we'll just highlight, and we'll talk about them a little bit more. Uh, number one is your speech should be gracious. Your speech should be seasoned with salt and your speech should be prepared. So in your speech being your, the characteristic, number one characteristic, our words are to be gracious. Graciousness and civility, believe it or not, can overcome the misgivings of outsiders and make them much more receptive to the gospel. Graciousness. Not the hostility, the, the, the examples we have in front of us today with media and all the, other, all the different media platforms, there's such a hostility, there's such an anger, there's such a polarization. That is not our role model for the kingdom. Our words are to be gracious. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that which is good for edification. That means to build someone up, encourage someone. There's nothing wrong with you encouraging someone that has not yet accepted Christ. You can encourage that person. Encourage one another. No unwholesome words, but only those that, are, that will encourage one another. So build one another. Think about what can I say? What could I say? What would God have me say that would really build this person up today? And it doesn't have to be Christianese. You don't have to quote Bible verses. You can, you, can, you can say what the Bible is saying without saying, okay, in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 12, 
That really applies to you today. But wisdom, have the wisdom of God. Amen? So graciousness and civility can overcome the misgivings of outsiders and make them much more receptive to the gospel. That's the goal, is to build relational, relational bridges that, that will be secure enough to be able to eventually share the good news of the gospel. So graciousness, practice it. Practice being gracious. Practice being kind and just encouraging, encouraging people. Sometimes just a smile will be just fine. And I would encourage you to, to, to practice it with someone that may be giving you a hard time. Someone that, you, you know, some personality or nationality or race or political viewpoint that is direct opposite of yours and, and just purpose to start developing a friendship. Why are you so passionate about what you're so passionate about? Just ask some questions. But always be gracious. Always be gracious. Don't shut the conversation down before it even gets started. You're wiser than that. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. So your, your speech should always be gracious. And number two, your speech is to be seasoned with salt. Now that idiom of your speech being salty in the culture, I don't know if it's so much today anymore, but it used to mean it was profanity-laced. That's not, obviously, that's not what Paul is talking about. But what he is talking about, what it refers to, is that your speech should be witty, it should be amusing, it should be clever or humorous. Again, not just laced with Christianese that, the, that people that aren't even Christ followers, they don't even understand the terminology. Let me talk to you about Jesus and how he made perpetuation for your sin. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> perpetuation what? You know, use normal, everyday, the common language of the person that you're communicating with, but let it be witty Amusing, And again, most often it will fit your personality. It's what, what is your personality? Don't try to be humorous if you're not a funny person. <laughs> Where's Jeffrey Miller there? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't think that was funny, did you? <laughs> most of us did. But anyway. See, Barry thought, I mean, Brad thought it was funny, and Barry thought it was funny, so it must have been funny. Moving right along, it can be witty, it can be amusing, clever, or humorous. Use what your personality and, and have the Holy Spirit build on that and, and, and develop it, practice it, then, which takes us to the third characteristic is your speech is to be prepared. In verse 6, it says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer. That you know how you ought to answer. Know how you ought to answer each one. I'll be honest with you. I have, I have a lot of room to grow here. Know how to answer each one. Each one who? Each one that is not yet a Christ follower, if they were to ask me for the reason for the hope that is within me, I will know, 
I will have a knowledge and I will have a, I will have wisdom and I will be gracious and I will be witty or amusing or clever or humorous in knowing how to answer each one. Not that I pull out an index card and, and okay, you ask, this is your question, okay, this is the answer. No, but spending time with God, having our batteries charged, being fully charged, fully present, that when an unbeliever asks me for the reason of the hope that is within me, I have the confidence of the Holy Spirit within me, just like the scriptures tell us, like when you go before the courts, don't premeditate what you're going to say. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. Now, lawyers might not agree with that. The defense attorney might say that is the craziest thing I've ever heard of, but we're not talking about uh, defense attorneys. We're talking about right now the Holy Spirit leading us, believing that the Holy Spirit will prompt that when someone asks me a question, why are you optimistic? Why are you believing that it's going to turn out well? Why are you so joyful? Why do you have peace in the midst of these turbulent times? Why, why, why? Then the Holy Spirit within me and within you will prompt you and you will have a ready answer for each question that is presented before you. So because we are living in a hostile environment, it is, it is imperative that we have our batteries charged. Our, our answers are ready for those who uh, are inquisitive, and we also are ready for those who would challenge our faith or those who are curious about our faith. It makes no difference. Are they challenging me or are they curious about my faith? Whether they challenge you or whether they're curious about your faith, you're still going to to be gracious. You're still going to have a, a witty, amusing, clever, and a humorous answer for that person, and it's going to be prepared, not necessarily by you, written out so that you can go through your files and, okay, here it is, here it is. No, but it's from the inside, the Holy Spirit. And you will come to a place, you will grow in this, and you will come to a place, and when the conversation is finished, you'll walk away from it and say, thank you, Jesus. I don't know where that came from, but thank you, Jesus. Well, you do know where it came from, but we just have a tendency to say that anyway. It came from God. It's a wisdom of heaven which is peaceable, gentle, without partiality, willing to yield, willing to yield. So, folks, let's warm our hearts. Let the Holy Spirit transform our lives, and let's become passionate about sharing the good news of the gospel with a lost and dying world. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11 is a, a prayer that I want to pray for us in closing today. I encourage you to look at this prayer on your own and, and uh, just change. You, you, can, you can make this a personal prayer. Apply it to yourself. But it goes like this. Just receive this as a prayer, because I'm going to read it as a prayer. I'm going to read this as I would encourage you to read it for yourself or for your family or for the Grace Church. For this reason, I also, since the day that I heard it, do not cease to pray for the family at Grace Church and to ask that, they all be, that we all be filled with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and in spiritual understanding 
that we all may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Amen. Amen. So, Father, I thank you and I praise you for the family of Grace Church. I thank you and I praise you, Lord God, that you are for us, that you are not against us. And, Father, it's my prayer that you stir our hearts, that you grip our hearts with a passion for being fully charged and to be willing to go where you are leading us, guiding us, and directing us. I pray for every student, whether it be in junior high, high school, or college, every young adult, every adult, whatever ages we are, Father, I thank you and I praise you, Lord God, that we will purpose, we will purpose to be prepared to walk in wisdom, to be gracious, to be civil in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, name above all names. Amen.